Father, we come before you. We, we ask, Lord, that you would give us keen eyes and insight and wisdom on what we can expect and how we are to react. We know that we need your peace, which passes understanding. And in the midst of trials, Lord, we ask that you would provide for us joy, as your word says. We pray that we not be easily taken aback by persecution which comes, for we know this is the time of the end based on what is taking place on a worldwide scale. These moves are major chess pieces, Father. We understand that. And we pray that you would help us to really think in a sober fashion where we are not easily swayed from our persuasion, our commitment to follow you. And for those who are away from the church, Lord, I pray that you would call them back, that you would bring them back into fellowship, that they would understand that times are going to get tough, even rough, as they already have been over the past year for many people. And we pray that as we read the words of Paul that he penned, although he was not meek in his ability to act, he was meek as he wrote. But Father, also he talks with boldness. And I pray that you would give us that heart of boldness with meekness as we get into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is one of the themes that Paul goes through from chapters 11 to chapter 13. Several times he mentions either being weak or he boasts about his weakness. And he talks like a fool about all of the trials and accomplishments that he's gone through. He is warning the false apostles and the deceitful workmen who are out there, and he just wants to make sure that the Corinthian church is stabilized, that that they are able to weather the storm, so to speak. Now, getting into the setting up what we are going to read today, have you ever taken a trip and thought, This is taking a long time. Have you ever been stuck in an airport? I've been stuck in an airport for at least eight hours and and finding what to do and what to read. You can only eat so much. You can only read so much. You can only walk so much. You can only visit the bathroom so much. And you're just trying to figure out what to do with yourself. But it just seems like it's taking forever to get somewhere. I can remember booking or having Patty book some flights and you can book a flight but it takes 24 hours to get there and it's not that far away but it takes 24 or 36 hours to get there. Well, you know, there, there is this spacecraft that was launched in 1977 called the Voyager 1. And the Voyager 1 went through our solar system and it has taken 43 years to get out of our solar system, and that's where it is now. It's beyond our solar system. The Coupier Belt and everything that is out there, it's beyond that. It's out in the dead of space. And it's just heading as far as it can. It's 14 billion miles away from Earth. Now that takes a long time. That's a long trip. If you wanted to communicate with the spacecraft, it'll take you 21 hours to send the message there. The message to come back, it will take another 21 hours. That's 42 hours in order to communicate. That's a long time. Now, light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second or 671,000, or excuse me, miles per hour. Uh, The star, uh, one star that's close to us, 4.3 light years away, it's called Proxima Sad Centauri. 
if you had the Voyager spacecraft going there, it's only one six hundredth of the way there. And it's been out since 1977. Now, and it's traveling at approximately 38,000 miles per hour. At that speed, it will reach that star in 80,000 years. That takes a long time to get there. Now, Paul starts talking about heaven. Where is heaven? Now, we know scripture says it's up. Well, what if you're on the South Pole? Up is different than where you are here, but it just says it's up. There is a scripture verse in Isaiah chapter 14, and this is where Satan comes along and he starts talking in a prideful manner. And God tells him, you have sinned. You have said in your heart, verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. So one commentator, <clears throat> Greek commentator, Wiest, he said, well, because of the scripture, all you have to do is look north to the north star, which is Polaris. If you look at the Little Dipper at night, the tail of the Little Dipper is Polaris. The cup of the Big Dipper points to it, and that's the north star. It never moves. So this we said in his commentary, I read this years ago, he said, if you go to the north star and you keep on going all the way to the end of the universe, which is 13.5 billion light years away, and by the way, I think it's farther than that. They just can't see farther than that. So you go beyond that. And he says, that's where heaven is because it's on the sides of the north. So you go that far. How long would it take to get there? An eternity. You'd never get there. Because 80,000 miles to go 4.3 light years, this is 13.5 billion light years away. You would never get there. <laughs> that's the point. But for Paul, how far was it how long did it take for him to go to heaven? It was instantaneous. It didn't take any time whatsoever. If you remember, <clears throat> Paul was defending his apostleship. The Judaizers were trying to discredit Paul. They boasted about their credentials. They boasted about their accomplishments. Instead of boasting about his credentials, Paul essentially boasts about how weak he was and his weaknesses. And he talks about his weaknesses, again, from chapters 11 through chapter 13. And some of these things that he says, he says he was too weak to slap and abuse the believers in Corinth. Remember I talked about that last week? He says if others feel weak, then so does he. He, he boasted of things that show his weakness in chapter 11, verse 30. He uses a third-person singular form to refer to great things he has seen. And the thorn in the flesh, which spoke of his weakness, and the thorn of the flesh that God gave him made him perfect because of his weakness. <clears throat> and because of his weakness, he says, he will boast even all the more of Christ's power that rests on him. He delighted in weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecutions, and difficulties. And Paul, when he was weak, he was made strong in Christ, is what he talked about in the chapter we are going to get to. Christ is not weak in dealing with the believers in Corinth. Christ was crucified in weakness. So you see, this theme is all the way through of weak, being weak, being weak. Paul says he was weak. And so we're going to pick it up, and he says he's weak, but God uses him in a fantastic way, and he's making an argument for his apostleship. And these other apostles, super apostles have said what they've done and where they've been and who they've seen well, he continues his foolish ranting by saying what he had seen. 
in this in verse 12 it says i must go on boasting although there is nothing to be gained i will go on to visions and revelations from the lord i know a man in christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven now he's talking about himself but this was something the rabbis used to do <clears throat> if they had to talk about something that was sensitive they would talk about in a third person it's first person singular instead of the first person singular. So he goes on to say, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. Now, paradise, back in the New Testament times, it was a walled garden. It was a beautiful place where you could go. There are probably birds that come in. There's water flowing. There are plants planted everywhere. It, it's kind of like a, quote-unquote, a secret garden you go away to, and you can just relax and meditate on the Word of God. Whatever you wanted to do, that's what paradise is referred to here. And it was a place that kings would have, that they would set up in their palaces somewhere on the outside. They could just go and relax. Now, Paul, not only did he have visions, but he had revelations. But the visions that he had in Acts chapter 9 on a road to Damascus, remember, he was knocked off his horse. He heard the voice of the Lord. He was blinded by a great light. And later, Ananias came, and he had this vision that Ananias would come and restore his sight. In Acts chapter 16, he had a vision. A man in Macedonia said, come here and preach the gospel. Also in Acts chapter 18, in verses 9 through 11, there was this host of the or the leader of the synagogue uh, named Justice and his whole house ended up believing and getting baptized and he had this was in Corinth and he had this uh, vision because he was kind of afraid to keep on speaking and God said do not be afraid to keep on speaking so he had several visions and this isn't the full list of them several visions and also revelations he had the revelation of the word of God we have 13 books in the New Testament because of the revelations he got and he also got to go to heaven now, when he got to go to heaven, how did that take place? Did he just have a vision? And there's some uh, arguments about that or some different views about that. But we know that Paul, after he had the vision, especially in Corinth, he stayed there for a year and a half and he taught. And the Lord gave him the revelation. That's where we get the gospel, or excuse me, the letters to First Corinthians. Now, also... Going on with this visions and revelations, we know that there was a time when Paul was in Lystra that he was stoned, that he was not accepted. And when they stoned you back then, they didn't use little rocks. Now, I had a thing on the playground in elementary school where we'd throw rocks at each other. We'd pick them up, and they were on the playground. Uh, and there would be little chunks of concrete and things like that, and we'd throw them at each other, and that's what we did. Well, I got hit in the head, and then blood came all down my face, and I was crying as a little kid, and they took me to the nurse's office, and the other kids gathered around, look how much he's bleeding, you know, and they're just losing it. Every one of them's losing it. That's not the type of rocks we're talking about. The rocks we're talking about were rocks i mean you could probably have 10 pounds of rocks or one rock would weigh 10 pounds or five pounds now try dropping that on your head try dropping that on your body and see what it feels like if you ever dropped something heavy on your foot well this is what they would do they would stone people and everybody would pick up stones on the way lots of stones in jerusalem or in lystra or anywhere over in the middle east there and you would go stone somebody well they drug him outside the city and they were going to bury him. 
he was dead. Now, somebody who doesn't think he was dead, you try going and getting stoned. Well, maybe I should rephrase that. Maybe (laughs) be a participant in being stoned. You know, somebody takes some rocks and hits you upside the head. You think you're going to survive that? You're, You're not going to survive that. And so he was caught up. I believe at that particular time, we don't know if it was this time, but I believe it was, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the first heaven that Scripture talks about is where the birds fly. It's where we take our plane trips. We stay inside the atmosphere. That is the first heaven. The second heaven is where we have placed some feet, like up on the moon, and where the stars and the planets are. And the third heaven is beyond that. Now, I've already given you a description of where some people think it might be. But he is boasting about going to this third heaven. Now, I I really don't want to hold anything against Paul, but couldn't you have given us a little insight to what you saw? But he says, I can't express what I saw. It would be like sin for me to talk about that type of stuff. Just give me a little something of what you saw. But he didn't do that. And he goes on in verse 5 to say, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. So he's... He's really just expressing or trying to stay humble while talking about these things because if if you had only blessings throughout your entire life, everything went your way, I guarantee you, you would have a tendency to boast unless something intervened with that greatness. And we're going to see what that is. But in verse 6, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. So he's only given him a little bit. But remember, he's trying to establish again, reestablish his apostleship because these Judaizers are speaking down on him. They're, they're talking in a way that would just degrade his standing inside the church at Corinth. And I can imagine these other guys coming in. Of course, they had their letters, as I've told you before. And they would probably say, well, you know, I hung out with Gamaliel. I hung out with Shammai. I hung out with some of the greats in Jerusalem. And I have traveled most of the Mediterranean. And I have seen great and fantastic things. And I studied at Jerusalem U. And all of these things are newer to my benefit. And that's why you can listen to me. And what does Paul say? Paul said, I visited you at Corinth. And I went to heaven. Now, which one would you want? Visiting the poor, the downtrodden, those who are in need. You know, I can remember, I love my pastor for this. We were at a meeting, all these pastors. It was a pastor's get-together. And at this pastor's get-together, a couple of guys spoke up. And they wanted to know, at the, uh, they were asked the question, so what's going on with your church? How are you guys doing? And one guy said, well, we we finally got our bookstore up and running, and we have a uh, coffee shop in there, and it's just going great, and we built our new building, and, you know, lots of people are coming, and uh, people are getting baptized, and it's just wonderful. And several people did that. Oh, yeah, we were able to buy a bunch of vans, and and, uh, now we're getting the kids, and they're talking about all the accomplishments that they've had at the church. And... My pastor was asked at this get-together. He said, so what have you done? He goes, well, not too much. We were able to open up a couple of homes for those who are drug addicted and we're trying to 
make their lives a little better. We haven't had much of an income. We don't have a coffee shop. Uh, our library is like a closet. It's off to the side. But, you know, I think we're doing okay. I love my pastor for that. You know, he, he didn't talk about all the accomplishments, the new signs, the new big glass buildings or anything like that. He was just talking about the people, and that's Paul. Yeah, I came to you guys at Corinth who were in need, and I went to heaven, and that was it. Yeah, I'll take Paul's version rather than the other one any day. Now, verse 7 goes on to say, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Now, when he says surpassingly great, that's a superlative. It means excessive or exaggerated. He had so many visions, so many revelations, so many experiences that were given to him. He also was given something else. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this thorn in the flesh... I just saw a video of somebody pulling out a splinter from their foot. And it was an inch long. Yeah, and when they pulled it out, you even heard the person say, Yowza! As they pulled it out, I go, Oh, that, 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 that just hurt. That's small compared to what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about a tent peg. Now, if you know what a tent peg is, have you ever seen like the Circus Vargas that used to come around, how they would set a a stake in a parking lot. They would have four guys around. Now they probably use jackhammers, but they had four guys around with four sledgehammers, and they would go in a rotation. Each one would hit it, and they would slam that thing in. And the stake was about this big. Now imagine a tent peg about this big. He goes, was given to me a tent peg in my side. You can get the idea of it. This was not an insignificant thing. Now, some people think it was a spiritual torment. Other people think it was a physical torment. But let me continue here. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. So here, since Paul was given these in a very extraordinary way, the visions, the revelations, the knowledge, the signs, the wonders, the miracles. If he had no physical ailments and he did all of these things, his head would not fit through the door. It just would because he had everything going for him. There was, would have been no problems whatsoever. But what Paul had to do to keep, or excuse me, what God had to do to keep Paul from being puffed up was give him this infirmity and like the judaizers you know they would talk about paul and remember the description i gave you of paul that paul was short he was bald he was bow-legged he had a unibrow probably i heard another description of probably bulging eyes coming out of his head he didn't speak very well he wasn't a, a great orator but he wrote good things in his letters. But when you look at him, you go, this is Paul. That's what we're going to say of Satan when he shows up too. When we see him at the judgment, this is Satan. This is right here. Well, that's how they looked at Paul. This is the great apostle Paul. Yeah, that's Paul. And he was the one that had packaged all of this power God had in this guy. But to keep him humble, he had to have the tent peg in him. Now, what was this tent peg? As I said before, it could have been spiritual. 
I don't think it was. I think it was an eye ailment. Now, why do I say that? Because in Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, we have some big hints here. As he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached to you the gospel or preach the gospel to you, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. This is a hint. He had a problem with his eyes. It also says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So he has a problem with his eyes, and his letters are big because he probably can't see very well. Now, maybe some of you have had a sty in your eye or an eye infection. I once had an eye infection, and it was gross. I'm just going to tell you it was gross. I went to the doctor, and... When I went to the doctor, it was in one eye, and it just it didn't feel right. It was irritated. It felt swollen. It was red everywhere. And by the, by the time I got to the doctor, I was wiping things out of my eye and going, what in the world? And it wasn't clear. It was green. And I'm going, oh, you know. And the, the doctor said, here, take this go to the pharmacy, get that salve, put it in your eye. By the time I got to the pharmacy, it was all around my eye. And I'm going, oh, leper, out of the way. You know, I'm screaming as I'm going into Not really, but you get the idea. I'm going in there, and I'm wiping my eye like this, and it's all over my hand. I go, what in the world? And I couldn't see very well out of that eye. Everything was just kind of blurry. And when I was going through that, I thought, Paul the Apostle, I'm not worthy of this disease, Lord. Not really, I didn't say that. But it's this idea that, wow, that's what Paul probably experienced was something that was even worse than that because when that goop is all in your eye, you can't see a thing. It's just all blurry out there. And so he used this large font. You know, you probably use Helvetica or Times Roman, maybe 12. He was probably using... 24 or 72 to write on his parchments when it comes to the font size or his letter size. And then he says, he knows our weaknesses, God does, and he knows how to keep our, keep our lives in balance. Now, so Paul has all these revelations, he has all these visions, he has all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders, and God says, yeah, but I gotta keep you humble. So I'm gonna give you this thorn in the flesh. So he balances it out. And God does that with us to keep us humble. He wants to use us, but he can't use us in an unaffected state. He has to affect us some way. Things that might lift us up, he counters with things that will keep us humble. And it's a protection for us. It's God's providence over our lives. And this is where trust in God comes in. Because we have the tendency to call out to God, God, why am I going through this? Why am I experience this experiencing this there was a time when i was a child gary lived across the street victor lived back behind me and and our house was kind of in between and we got this this brand new he got this brand new thing victor 
that was a big wheel. Remember that? Now, when I was growing up, I didn't have one. But we were a little older, and we could grab onto the handlebars and put one foot where the seat was, and we could push like this. And so that's what we did. But Victor was a little smaller. And so we decided we wanted to build a ramp out in the middle of the street and run this thing up the ramp and, you know, just kill ourselves. But that's what we were doing. We were taking this big wheel, and it was Victor's big wheel. And we were abusing it out there. And so Victor, being smaller, he was younger than us, he decided he was going to ride over this ramp, you know. But he was riding it the normal way, where you sit down and you pedal. And so what happened, he went up over the top and onto his face. And he stopped the ground with his face. And he chipped the tooth in front right in half. That's great. So Gary, next door, took Victor to his mom. And his mom said, why my kid? <laughs> Gary comes back and says, why any kid? You know, what's the deal with that? But why my kid? Why is this happening to me? By the way, Victor later on became a brother in the Lord. I don't know where he is now. But uh, Gary, no, not so much. And, and so you think to yourself, why is this happening to me? Why is this taking place in my life? Why is it being so difficult here? Why am I stuck in California why couldn't I have been somewhere else where life is easier? I think I've mentioned before, maybe I haven't, I have to some people. If the Lord wants you to go somewhere, and I've often thought about this, I can't move from Lakeside because the Lord told me this is where you're going. When Patty and I got married, I, I prayed about El Cajon or Chula Vista. It was El Cajon. I was going to El Cajon, okay? After El Cajon, it was, do we stay in El Cajon? no opportunity in lakeside we come to lakeside okay we're here in lakeside I, this is where i got to stay i said lord we can use this house for bible studies it'd just be great well he gave it to us well where's he telling me to go next nowhere so what do i do remain unless he calls me somewhere else but lord is getting hard remain my grace is sufficient for you don't go anywhere unless he tells you go somewhere if he goes somewhere don't let the never mind if if it, <laughs> If he tells you to go somewhere, just go. That's where he wants you to be. It's like Paul. He tried to go. I think it was Bithynia. He tried to go to Bithynia, but he was refused by the Lord. No, you got to head back to Macedonia. And so that's what we want to pay attention to. What does the Lord want us to do? Well, wherever we go, it's going to be tough because the Lord wants to balance out the blessing with the problems. That's what he wants to do. And it will teach us, it will cause us to get to maturity. Remember Job's wife, when he was going through the worst of it? His wife said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What did Job say? You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You mean God will deliver to us some things that cause trouble as well as good? Yes, he does that for our benefit. It's like when we discipline a child. It's for their benefit. It's not because we want to just hurt them and make their lives miserable, and that's what God does. And you know, some of the things that come into our lives, say we have several different problems that come into our lives that are affecting us in a terrible way. What do we do with that? Well, you've heard the expression, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Well, there can be some things that are really toxic to us that can harm us like for instance these two things oxygen now we breathe oxygen but 
we breathe a lot of nitrogen. There's only 21% oxygen in our atmosphere, and that's what we breathe. You learn all this stuff when you do scuba diving, how much oxygen to have. If you don't have enough oxygen, you can get toxemia. In toxemia, you can die from that. If you get too much oxygen, you can die from too much oxygen. They found this out in hospitals. They've done studies on it. You don't want to get too much. You don't want too little. You don't want too much. You want just the right amount. Well, what about hydrogen? If you have hydrogen, you can blow up things. You can put it in a car and watch a car blow up if it doesn't operate correctly. The Hindenburg, remember that? Not so good to have hydrogen. Maybe helium would have worked better. They all would have talked in high voices, but helium would have worked better. And so if you take hydrogen, which is explosive, you take oxygen, which is explosive. If you breathe only hydrogen, you will get toxemia. You will die. If you breathe only oxygen, you will die from toxicity to oxygen. But if you put those two things together, what do you get? Water. Water is beneficial. And so God may bring in two things in our lives that are harmful to us, but when he puts them together, they bring life. Water is life. Another one I've told you before, uh, the same one, chemistry, a little chemistry here. Sodium. You ever seen sodium dropped in water? Explosive. Uh, I had a chemistry class in high school. Mr. Love was his name. And he had this room that was locked. And in this room, he had a bunch of brown glass jars. And in one of those jars, he brought out a chunk of sodium. It was probably this long, about that big around. And he took his pocket knife and he cut the sodium off, kind of like um, solder. He just cut it off of there, off this big chunk. And he, he set the chunk, it was probably a centimeter, half an inch, maybe. And he took it and he had a bucket of water. And he got the sodium and he threw it into the bucket of water. It exploded in class. It was great. It was wonderful. But we got to watch it explode. And so that's what sodium will do if you mix it with water. It's very dangerous stuff. And then chlorine that you pour into a pool, you know, Clorox, that type of thing. You don't want to breathe that stuff. It's just really bad. It's poisonous. It will kill you. Both sodium and chlorine will kill you. Put them both together, something good. Salt. You get salt, sodium chloride. It's great stuff. But if you have these things in your life where you're going, this is terrible over here, this is terrible over there, but God puts them together and it's wonderful. Salt and water is what it is for us. It's sustenance and makes life flavorful when we get to the end. But we have to go through this maturing process. Now Paul, back in verse 10, says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. These things he rejoices in, his infirmity. <laughs> Look at this. I got a broken arm. <laughs> it's great. But that's what he's It seems kind of odd that he'd be saying this. Like, what are you talking about? Man, I just got hit upside the head. Look at this shiner that's up on top of my Something's big. It's wonderful. And what about insults? You go out witnessing? I was just called a Jesus freak today. Isn't that great? Well, well, yeah, you kind of get the picture of what's going on. He also says, hardships. I lost my job because I said getting an abortion and practicing homosexuality are both sinful. Mm, hardships. 
What about persecutions? I was banned from Twitter and Facebook because I was posting scriptures. Hmm. What about difficulties in anguish or anguish? I just got COVID so I can't work and take care of my family. You see how what Paul was going through translates to us? And now we're going through this thing with COVID and people are not working. Restaurants are shutting down. People are leaving the state. There's more control coming down upon us. And we look at that and we go, this is bad. I lost my job. That's bad. I got the COVID. That's bad. I can't deal with my family. That's bad. But when it all comes together, it perfects us. That's what God wants. It keeps us in balance. Verse 11, I've made a fool of myself. You drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you. For I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was not a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Sorry I didn't take advantage of you. Here's the sarcasm again. Verse 14, now I'm ready to visit you for a third time. I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. Now, you see, this is the heart of the apostle. This is the heart of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want our stuff. He doesn't want our possessions. He wants us. He wants our fellowship. He wants our enjoyment of just having the relationship there. And that's what Paul says he wants. After all, children should not have to save it for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am. And here again, he's being sarcastic. I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he, excuse me, did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. So you see the line he's taken here. He's defending himself, doing so as a fool would do, just because that's how they accept these other Judaizers. He continues, verse 20, For I am afraid that when I come I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. So Paul is telescoping what he wants done. He wants them to get rid of everything that is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's those things he wants to see exhibited rather than the jealousy, outburst of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder, and quarreling. All of those things were taking place in Corinth. That was happening. And also the sexual immorality. I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, debauchery in which they have indulged. In Galatians 5.24, right after the fruit of the Spirit, says those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. 
And so sexual sin is brought up all kinds of times in Scripture, as well as all of these other things, the, the works of the flesh. A lot of them are outwardly working, the quarreling, the strife, the sedition, all of that stuff is on the outside. But on the inside, it begins with the sexual sin, the thought. And he says, you know, both outside and inside, you need to make pure. So applying all of this, <clears throat> you know, an aluminum can, it's worth about 2.4 cents. You turn them in and you get some money. I, I store up ours. I get over 100 bucks. You know, when I take them in, it's great. I like to take them in. The same material, aluminum, can be made into an engine block. An engine block is worth about, <coughs> excuse me, $5,000. The same material. One is an aluminum can. The other is an engine block. That same material makes a SpaceX rocket worth about $37 million. Same material. It just depends on how much aluminum is heated, purified, formed, tooled, and its worth will vary greatly. Now, which one do you want to be? You want to be a SpaceX rocket or you want to be a 2.4 cent can? Are you willing for God to use you, heat you up, hammer you a little bit, form you, drill you, test you? Are you willing to do all of that? Now, your worth is already established, but for us to be valuable in the hands of the Lord, we have to say, okay, use me, Lord. Unconditionally, use me. Where do you want me to go? California? I'm there. New York? Right on. Manhattan? I'm going right there. Is that what the Lord wants? Well, you'll be valuable if you do. Now, when you get there, you're going to be refined, you're going to be heated, you're going to be poked, you're going to be drilled, all of those things, but that's what God wants. Paul was given his thorn in the flesh. He was heated up, purified, he was formed, he was tooled all to perfect him. And when, asked, when he asked God to take away the thorn, you know, he never told Paul why he had it. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you. God, will you take this away? Why, why is this going on in my life? My grace is sufficient for you, his unmerited favor. And we don't know what lies ahead in 2021, but it doesn't look as promising as it could. Now, I am an optimist, but it's hard to find a, a little light, a beam of light of optimism right now with what's going to take place. And as it stands today, evil is going to increase. And by the way, there's nowhere to run to escape it. This is a worldwide phenomenon now. It's just the United States has been holding this up, and specifically one person, and now he's out of the picture. If evil comes to full fruition and our lives are adversely affected, remember, God is heating us up. He is purifying us. He is forming us. God is shaping us. And when it seems like it might be the most difficult, remember, that God's grace is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we don't know what lies ahead in the future. We don't know who will be suppressed, although those who follow you will suffer persecution. We would ask, Lord, for strength for the body of believers worldwide 
There are so many that are being persecuted for their faith and even being killed overseas. And Father, we know that this may come our way, maybe not to that degree, but certainly persecution will come. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to rely on your grace, your goodness, knowing that these evil things work together for our good. Romans 8.28 So we praise you for that, Lord. And we look forward even more so to the day of your appearing. In Jesus' name, and the church said...